0: 6349 or ProLiftDoors.com slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we welcome Dave Drotzman, who is running for Senate District Twenty Nine out in Eastern Oregon. Uh, we've had a couple of his opponents on, and so I think we're going four for four with our SD Twenty Nine. So, Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, James. Appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. No Nick today. He is out of town, and uh, we're actually f- recording this in Lake Oswego, so not in Hermiston. Um, so we kind of had to thread a needle here, and Nick was out of town. So, um, Dave, why don't you just take a minute to Introduce yourself, kind of how you got into politics, why you're running for this seat, um, what your priorities are. I mean, anything you want to go for. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks uh, to you and Nick for inviting me
1: and uh, making this happen and coming to us today too here in Lake Absolutely. Saiga.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's a much shorter drive for me than it is for Hermiston. you. So. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you know, I, currently I'm the mayor of the city of Hermiston. I'm in my 12th year. Uh, prior to that, I served eight years on the school board. Um you know, I'm a local eye doctor started, uh, in practice in Hermiston in, um, 1998 Thanksgiving weekend. We moved in, uh, my wife and two small children got an opportunity to practice, uh, eye care, uh, retiring provider there in Hermiston, 30 year provider, uh, was retiring two partners out of, uh, Pendleton bought it out and they asked me to come down and run it for him. And I did that, uh, for five years, um, we became partners in that time period. I bought them out of Pendleton. They bought me out of Hermiston. Yeah. Vice versa. <laughs> I bought them out of Hermiston. They bought me out of Pendleton. Got it. And, uh, so I went independent for a long time. I now have two uh, partners and 16, um, a staff member. We are the largest eye care provider in Eastern Oregon. That's awesome. And so, you know, for me, it started, you know, as a young person, uh, why I engaged in politics and how I got involved. Uh, my parents divorced when I was young. My mom had to work two jobs to keep a roof over her head and food on the table. Um, and so I knew a, at a young age, um, hard work, if I wanted things in my life was going to be a, a big part of that. And I had a community that surrounded us. They helped take care of us. They helped raise us. Um, a very giving community in a very. Um, you know, nice network of community members uh that supported us and um I'm an extremely loyal person. And so um as I got older and was able to give back myself, um, I did as soon as I could. And um my professions put me in a position that allowed me to uh have flexible time to contribute to my community. You know, I served I've been a twenty eight year Rotarian. I served on the Booster Club board for ten years. Um, Served the Chamber of Commerce Board, you know, like I said, eight years at the school board and 12 years now as mayor. And uh, six years ago, my colleagues at the League of Oregon Cities appointed me to the board of directors there. And just uh, recently, I took over as the uh, president of the League of Oregon Cities.
0: Correct. So that, that is um, small town mayors, is that right? So the League, so of, Oregon League of Oregon
1: Cities represents every city in the city. State. Every city. Okay. 200, all 241. Okay. You know, there's 1,500 mayors and uh, city councilors and 70% of the state population. Um, and so our state association represents all of them from the littlest town of five people all the way up to city of Portland. Wow. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Well, so the, a lot of our listeners here on the podcast are kind of like Willamette Valley Republicans, okay. um, a lot of Portland, Salem. Um, I know look, just looking through your website, a lot of, um, Eastern Oregon priorities and I think everybody on our side of the aisle recognizes that Eastern Oregon is very much left out of a lot of conversations, but what is it that you think, um, you can talk about, uh, for those of us who live in, in Portland, Eugene, Salem, Mm -hmm. that area, like what, what is it that we don't know about Eastern Oregon that is, that is important for, for your community and, and for your, you know, constituents?
1: Yeah. You know, sometimes we get referred to, uh, Unfortunately, it is the Hicks from the Sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we choose to live out there. Yeah. Uh, good, intelligent, hardworking individuals, um, give you the shirt off their back. They're, uh, blue collar, hardworking people. Um, a lot of times they just want to be left alone. Yeah. And they don't want, uh, you know, their Portland politics invading Eastern Oregon. You know, we like local control. Um, and we, uh, you know, help out our neighbors when we when they need it and we don't look to the government to solve our problems and so i think those are kind of some common values that eastern oregon oregonians share um, and you know we just want to see successful communities for our, our families to grow up in a you know, good education system jobs that can pay living wages housing that's affordable safe streets um, i think those are all common themes though that uh even I-5 corridor Republicans could appreciate. Yeah. Um, and we could find common ground on a work end. You know, this urban-rural divide, I think there's a lot that's, uh, you know, you see the the or the Idaho movement out in my neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. The you greater know, Idaho, the, yeah. The greater Idaho movement. You right. know, I think that's people are just feeling like um, they're not being heard and they just want a good, strong voice in, East, in uh, Salem to stand up for them. And yeah. that's what I'm going to
0: do. I think that a big kind of fissure between the the left wing mindset and the right wing mindset is the purpose of the government, mm-hmm. and you know, to us Republicans, is I, I I think feel like the government the government's purpose is not to solve your problems. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the government is to protect your rights so that you can go solve your own problems. <laughs> and I think the left looks so much as it's there's a problem. Let's let's have the government solve it for us. And it, that's just that's just a complete backwards view of what the government's there for. And yeah. so I appreciate you all over there on the, on the East side and wish we had a little bit more of that mindset here in, in the Portland metro area.
1: You know, and I would add on to that too, um, you know, the left wants to throw money at everything yeah. and they want to throw your money at everything.
0: Yeah. They think every problem can be solved by throwing money at it, yep. which is, uh, and,
1: and more and more is better. Um, and so I think we have too big of a government. We have too much regulation. We have too much overreach. uh, And so I'm not going down there to increase the size of government. I would look to decrease the size of government and uh, return, you know, liberty back to the people, you know, our our country was built on. Uh, Government shouldn't be there to solve everybody's problems. It should be an infrastructure, a framework of which healthy families and businesses could grow off of. We shouldn't be dependent on the government to do that
0: for us. I think if you ever need a an anecdote about uh throwing money at a problem is the Metro Homeless Tax here in the Metro area uh nearly infinite amount of money to help homeless people and the majority of that went to Multnomah County and there was a lot of there were news articles that they could not spend the money fast enough. Yep. They they had that like they they complain about money being the issue and we just need more money and we just need more time and we just need more resources. And then you give that to them Mm -hmm. and they can't even do it properly. Yeah. Like they can't even spend the money
1: though. Yeah. There's, there's lots of those bad examples uh, out there. Unfortunately, we are not good at, at spending, uh, our constituents money as There's a state bad at it. Yes. <laughs> Very bad at it. You know, audits would show, you know, d- you know, time and time again, across all departments that, you know, when you do a better job be more fiscally responsible.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the greater Idaho movement. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I know I have mine being over here. I think if, if you all left the state, I think I would be in even much more trouble than we are <laughs> now <laughs> as a, as an urban Republican. Yeah. Um, do you think it's got a shot, uh, something you want to talk about or not? I, I don't mind talking about it. Okay. Yeah, there's probably very
1: few things I'm afraid to talk about. Um, again, I think people are angry and frustrated about Portland policies uh, dictating what the rest of the state does mm-hmm. and feeling like they don't have a voice in that conversation. And I think people just want to be heard and want to know that their voice is being represented. I love Oregon. I absolutely don't want to leave it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm going to be a champion to stand up for Eastern Oregon to, to fight back against that and try and, you know, bring some common sense and a, a good, uh, conservative voice to Salem and make sure that they know, you know, we matter and we're important and we should be considered in the decisions that are coming out of Salem.
0: Yeah. It's, I, looking at the, just the, the logistics of having to, if that thing were to get passed, um, like I, I just don't think it has any real chance of, of, becoming a reality but at the same time you know it's it's kind of shining a light on what exactly we're talking about of of eastern oregon being kind of left out of these discussions and you know it'd be great if our if our democratic colleagues would um see that for what it is of these people are really frustrated with the way things are going and instead they just kind of dismiss it as you know hicks from the sticks just being uppity and having weird opinions about things. (laughs) and uh,
1: You know, I think a perfect example of who I am, um, I'm the first uh, mayor from the east side of the state to represent the League of Oregon Cities in over 20 years. Oh, wow. And so that's because I've been able to develop uh, a lot of relationships with Portland metro mayors. Most of them are left-leaning Democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, They see me as someone with common sense, somebody that they can work with. Uh, they see that uh, I can bring, you know, a strong voice to the conversation and push back on things that are, I feel like are in, uh, incorrect for our families and our businesses and stand up for everybody. I think the 80% of us reside somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. whether you're Democrat or Republican. And unfortunately, the extremes on the 10% on each end, frankly, uh, are the loudest and getting the most attention. People just want to see us go to Salem and, and do good stuff and support families make it a better community safer community uh for us to raise our our children and grandchildren in and and that's what my goal is
0: yeah you're going to get me on a soapbox about social media and the 24-hour news cycle and right? that's making us more extreme but yeah. i'll i'll leave that for <laughs> for later um so one of your priorities on your website, housing and homelessness. Yeah. Um, I always kind of think of homelessness as being a you know metro thing. It's a, it's a Portland problem. Um, what are you guys dealing with out in Eastern Oregon? Is it? I assume it's not quite. The, it's got to be different but similar. Yeah, than what we're dealing with here in the metro area. You know, as I travel across the state, across the district,
1: um, we're seeing more of it. Uh, I'm now seeing uh, people sleeping on our doorsteps in our downtown downtown main streets mm-hmm. that never happened three years ago you know fentanyl has been absolutely devastating uh we're seeing a lot of homeless folks in our community now um But we're being pretty proactive. We were one of the eight pilot projects that came out of legislature to uh, work on homelessness uh, facility solutions. Uh, We are the farthest along in that process. It's called the PATH Project, Practical Assistance Through Transitional Housing. It's a four-community and county partnership where we're building um, housing, uh, literally like Conestoga huts. Uh, There's 22 of them. Um, but they also had connected navigation center. And so they'll have resources there, not only for warmth, but for food and reconnecting people to society, hopefully, and drug and alcohol addiction treatments, but also other social services that can get them back into, um, maybe a healthier, more productive lifestyle is our goal. Um, you know, unfortunately required by the state. You know, um, we have to have locations for those as well. Another mandate that came down that forced Portland ideas on every community across the state. You have to have a solution. And, uh, you know, we're challenged by Boise. Um, the Boise outcome and the grants pass outcome and the Medford decision. And so, you know, it's kind of created this framework by which we can assess time, place, and manner restrictions on
0: homelessness. Those okay. are the, the circuit court decisions that are kind of hands like handcuffing what yep. you're able to do and what you're not. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I used to be able to, um, you know, ask people to move along, you know, if they were laying on your doorstep on Main Street. Um, but you did didn't have to have resources available for them. Now communities, if they ask somebody to move along from public or private property, uh, they have to have a place to go. Hmm. And so if a community doesn't have a place for them to go, you can't force them to go. They've got a right to be uh, Hmm. in in public. And so uh, that's our solution and that's what we're working on as a region um to help with our homelessness. And it's it's about empathy as well. We're trying to provide a location for these folks that, you know, we had zero degree temperatures out there and a foot of snow. Yeah. And they're sleeping outside at, at night. Um, and you know, nobody should have to live that way. Some of it's personal choice and I get that. Mm-hmm. Um but we haven't done ourselves any favors here in this state, especially with measure one ten. What a catastrophic decision that was. And the fixes that are coming out are not solutions that we feel like are going to work. And so we're pushing back against that too. I hope that uh, the Democrats get more serious about the outcomes and want to do something really to fix it. Um, Otherwise, I think, you know, 56% of the population have said they want it repealed. Yeah. If we don't come up with some better solutions, I think that goes to the ballot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the issue with measure 110, like, If there was a silver silver bullet to solve addiction, like we would have done, we would have found it already. (laughs) Like we've tried so many different things. The the reality is, every person is different, and every person needs something different. Some people need counseling. Some people need the housing first. Some people need like people need different things to to meet their needs and get to the point where they can you know, even approach sobriety. And yes. for some people that's going to jail Yep. for some people, that is the, they need to hit rock bottom before they even realize they have a problem. And, and, you know, I've talked to people who that was going to jail, getting arrested was the thing that made them realize, Oh shoot, I got to change something. Yep. And you've just taken that tool out of the tool bag. Yep. And those people who that would have helped them to get back into society, uh, are, are without that just, they don't have that, that ability anymore. You know,
1: some of the greatest decisions I've ever made um, had to do with the loss of something, mm-hmm. you know, the threat of the loss of life, a loss of a family member, loss of a job, loss of a future. Right. And if you have none of those tools to engage the conversation with, when you're in a psychosis like that, the next thing you're worried about is my fix. Mm-hmm. Where am I getting my next fix? And then if you can get somebody conscious enough to a point where they're like, "This is this is going to kill me, they need intervention now.
0: Yeah, and we don't have that, um, and so you can't do that if you're hand, if you're handcuffed by all the court decisions and Measure One Ten and yeah, yeah, and so I
1: think Republicans and Democrats don't believe that criminalization is the right tool for mental health disease, mm-hmm. but um, it's got to be a part of the. The conversation to sometimes force that upon people because they can't do it themselves. Yeah, and so if we really are going to be empathetic about getting those people, your neighbors that are sleeping on the street, your community members that are sleeping on the street, getting them off of there, uh, making them more productive, we've got to um, we've got to help them with that decision. And sometimes that's going to require um, confirmation through uh, you know a public safety program, yeah. criminalization, and you know what get into health care system they get mental health relief they do drug and alcohol counseling they get back to being productive members let's expunge it yeah let's divert it i think republicans are completely supportive of that but this uh idea about you know a C misdemeanor and a deflection that the officer has to present to this person yeah they're not going to agree to go to jail <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go to treatment. Yeah, you're never going to see him. Kind of like we do with this kind of parking ticket thing we give them right now, right? Yep. <laughs> and so we've seen uh, in the last uh, three years since its implementation, fifty phone calls and like five people actually, you know, go through treatment. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, so we we've oh. got to find a, a better solution.
0: I think part of the mindset problem, at least here in Portland, well, it's twofold. One is that we can deal with the homeless problem by, by meeting people on their own terms mm-hmm. that we just need to get harm reduction long enough until people are ready to come and, and, mm-hmm. and get sober. And like the reality is sometimes people never get there. Yeah. They, they end up dying before they're ready to, That's to, to, but... to, hit the point of, of wanting that. And harm reduction is really just enabling. It's enabling bad behavior. It's, it's enabling people to slowly commit suicide. And the, but there, there needs to be a, A pathway that goes from uh that goes from where people are to sobriety Mm -hmm. and you can't just say oh we're going to hand out free needles and we're going to hand out you know
1: tinfoil and and, you
0: know make sure that people can exchange needles for free ones and expect that eventually they'll come around because that like very clearly isn't working the other problem that we're dealing with here in in Portland in particular is that all these services are farmed out to non nonprofits. No accountability. Um, no accountability, and you also have a pro- problem where um, there is no incentive to stop treatment. You mentioned that you need like you once once there's no longer a need for these programs, they they're gone. Right. You cut them, and if right. they're a government program, that's a lot. That's maybe not easy, but it's it's a it's a step forward. Whereas if you have a nonprofit who this has been, who is receiving all of their funding and all their employees rely on this government funding, there's really no incentive to be successful fix the problem. No, there's, there is all of the incentive in the world to continue harm reduction quote unquote until the end of time, because that's what keeps yeah. them employed. Yeah. I think I try not to judge people uh, as
1: if, if it's a nefarious action. But absolutely, um, you know, where's the incentive to be successful? You know, and I think it comes back to accountability and responsibility. And Mm -hmm. we're not asking people to be accountable for anything anymore. We're not asking them to be responsible for
0: their poor choices. People respond to incentives, but they are still people. And they can make decisions. We're not, they're not just animals that are going to, you know, click a button or go a certain direction. Like they're autonomous human beings Then. Mm -hmm. Can make these yeah
1: and, you know and we live in the greatest state in the world and i'm completely about individual sovereignty mm-hmm. but when your individual sovereignty is affecting me and my community yeah we need to have a different accountable solution and right now what we're doing is not empathetic it's not helping the individual it's enabling the individual mm-hmm. and we're complicit in that yeah we need a different system
0: well, I would love to see the Republican response to this. Cause like I said, my, my only experience is the way Democrats do things and it's just a disaster. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just infinite amounts of money getting swirled around in circles and nobody actually fixing anything because there's, a, there are all these incentives to not fix anything. I'll, I'll use so. the old adage. We don't have a revenue
1: problem. We got a spending problem, yeah. you know, and our state is not great at using taxpayer dollars and we've got to be more accountable and more responsible to the people that are sending their money to us. And we got to come up with some solutions that are working. Right now, a lot of these solutions aren't working. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm one individual. I'm not saying I have the solutions to it all, um, but I'm a pretty intelligent, competent individual. I'm a hard worker. I research the heck out of things. I'm constantly reading. Um, and so, you know, I think I can engage. And, and uh, you know, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a relationship business as well. And I think I can build on those relationships and we can do some good things for the state. Yeah.
0: Great. We've got a lot of other priorities here on your website. Is there any one that like kind of stands stands out to you? I guess we kind of gone over taxing and spending and then the homelessness. We didn't talk about housing. You mentioned housing. housing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so, you know, housing, number one
1: challenge every community I, I go to right now is faced with. And, you know, all levels, affordable market rate and even upper level housing. There's just not enough of it. And yeah. it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, and so we've got to figure out a way to, um, incentivize more development. Um, you know, and land use is an issue too. And so we have some, you know, especially over here, some urban growth challenges. Um, and so I, I like the proposals that are coming out around housing, um, infrastructure, you know, our, our state's over a hundred years old and some of that infrastructure in our communities is a hundred years old. Yeah. I've seen wooden pipes. I've seen, pi- <laughs> I've seen pipes with holes in them, you know, that water or, you know, uh, wastewater is supposed to be flowing through. You know, those are the kind of infrastructures that we have, and it's expensive to replace. And mm-hmm. when you're talking about Hermiston is the 33rd largest city in the state, there's 210 cities smaller than Hermiston. And a lot of those cities don't have the resources to replace that stuff. Yeah. Super, super expensive. And so, you know, there's an avenue by which the state could step up and help build more housing, investment, and infrastructure. You know, Hermiston's put an infrastructure plan in place. We now have 2,000 homes in the pipeline. We just got to get wow. them built. So part of the challenge now is this interest rate has slowed everything mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're we're one of the fastest growing communities and continue to be. You know, we're the largest community in Eastern Oregon now. Uh, a lot of it has to do with what we've done around housing. And we've been able to build it and uh, provide provide housing. So uh, the cost of it's getting extremely expensive as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've I'm, I'm glad that the governor and I'm glad that the legislature this um, session has made that a priority because we need to build more houses and make it more
0: affordable so people can live in our communities. The funny part about that whole thing is this is a, a priority for Governor Kotech, and it's the Democrats in the legislature who are dragging their feet and being problematic with this whole thing. I, she's a different governor than she was a legislator. Oh my gosh. I, I <laughs> might vote for her. I might vote for her in the next time. Like she has so sur- far surpassed my expectations. She's definitely um, more moderate than she used to be. I know. Yeah. I know. Like I'm looking at her policies and I'm like, are you, are you Republican? Like, I mean, she, she paid off the, the public employees who, who got her elected. Right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, I expect her to do that. But then like a lot of the stuff she's done since has been very like mm-hmm. moderate, good governance type stuff that Kate Brown just kind of. Left yeah. left off the table, and yeah. I have been very pleasantly uh, surprised with uh, uh, Kotek and, and what she's done. But yep. anyway, that's that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> I it's such a tricky problem. Housing is such a tricky problem because you have, especially in Oregon, you have your urban growth boundaries, and so you have a limited supply of land that you can build on. And then within the urban growth boundary, you have just Regulations and zoning, and again, this is from a, a you know Portland-centric mindset. But I've got a friend who uh, is the executive director of a of a nonprofit downtown, and they have a building that has a leaky roof. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to like fix the leaky roof, and it was going to be you know twenty thousand dollars or something. And um, when he goes to pull the permit, it gets d- denied because his building is not up to earthquake code. Yeah. Jeez. And so he has to retrofit the building before he can do any renovations, including replace the roof. So now this $20,000 project has become one and a half million oh my to, gosh. to retrofit this building. And so he's like, well, can I, can I sell this? Can I just get out from under this thing? It's a historic registry. It's a historic building. So he can't, he can't tear it down. Nobody else wants it because mm-hmm. nobody, everybody else, everybody knows yeah. it has hundred, you know, one and a half million dollar renovation before yep. you can do anything to it. Right. He can't sell it. He can't tear it down. He can't fix it. hmm So what do you do? Yeah. I mean, he's, he was this is like a year ago that I was talking to him about this and he was going around looking for, for grants, looking for exceptions. He was like, he was, that, that was the point where he was at of, I, there's nothing I can do apart from just like ask for government assistance to, to help this. And so, I mean, I, I use that as one anecdote of a broad problem of. Oh, we need middle housing. Oh, we need low, you know, affordable housing in inner city Portland so that we can, you know, have, you know, people can be lower, lower income folks can be closer to those hourly jobs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the city just shoots themselves in the foot when it comes to giving people the ability to actually follow through with those things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we, uh, over-regulated the industry to death
1: and, uh, we've got to figure out, you know, it, it shouldn't take months or even years to build a project because of all the regulatory hoops you've got to hop hop through. Time is money. And as we see interest rates, you know – Every month, every week that goes by is costing the developer money. And Mm -hmm. so we've got to get more housing done more quickly. And we also got to, you know, create avenues for people to get into the workforce. You know, we need apprenticeship programs. We need more plumbers, more electricians, more laborers. Um, you know, we need more of those individuals, uh, coming out of our high schools and getting into that workforce and, uh, supporting that industry because there's not enough housing contractors for decades. We haven't you know, invested in that infrastructure. And now all of a sudden we want to turn the switch and say, Hey, come build a whole bunch of houses for us. And there's nobody there to do it. Mm-hmm. So now we've got to put the, the power, the workforce behind it as well to make it happen.
0: Well, I think that if you look at that from a national perspective, I think there's a lot of construction companies out there. They're just not building in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because we're not a
1: business-friendly state. Exactly. Who wants to come here exactly. and, and open and start a business or they, deal with our regulations? We need to be more business-friendly. Otherwise, yeah. we're going to see a lot more. You've seen it here in downtown Portland. Yeah. Mass exodus of businesses, unfortunately, because they're tired of the regulatory and
0: overtaxation, they're seeing. Yeah. I look at my business, you know, garage door, uh, mostly repairs, and it's one of those things that... Uh, I kind of dodge a lot of those taxes because I just raise my prices the regulation like I I just I just raise my prices who's that hurt because well it hurts my consumers Consumers, right Um, I don't have the ability to you can't repair garage doors remotely mm-hmm. right but if you are a nationwide home builder mm-hmm. where are you going to build houses yeah not here yeah um and so every time somebody like gets online and complains about oh well if we just like cut the regulation all that's going to do is the developers are going to take more of a cut you know you're not going to lower prices you're just going to the, the developer is going to going to take a higher percentage it's like no developer is going to get his percentage no matter what he's just going to do it in texas Mm -hmm. he's not doing it here because we are not friendly and the the numbers don't work out uh interest rates to your point um this is something i hadn't really thought of until i was i was listening to um uh, some developers talk if you take out a mortgage you know six seven eight figures to build something and it takes you nine months to get your project approved absolutely that's nine months of Interest yep. that you're paying on that loan, absolutely. Just while you're waiting around, you haven't even. And these ground.
1: developers are trying to build multiples on that. Yeah, you know, we're talking ten houses, twelve houses, 15 20 right. houses at right. a time. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: <laughs> and, and it's just you're just cranking away that interest, and so mm-hmm. that cuts your bottom line, and that makes it less. It, it adds to the risk, and it, it encourages people to go build in a more, more friendly business-friendly state. business-friendly state. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. Nope. I'm, you know what? Fostering. I'm going to solve all this when I get to Salem. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. <laughs> uh, no, we
1: definitely need to get more houses built and, you know, I'm going to make that a priority for sure. I think a lot of that.
0: So I, I'm, I'm actually not like how much of that is local and how much of that state. I, f- I feel like a lot of the Portland problems are brought on by Portland. Yeah. Um, so I don't. Uh, anyway, I am. I, not as well-versed in other cities or like what what problems are solved at the state level and yeah. which ones are uh, Portland just needs to do what it's done. <laughs> Actually, that's a, an interesting point. I remember talking to somebody in the legislature and they said back in the day, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago, the legislature would pass laws. And in the law, it would say this only applies to cities over 400,000 people. Yeah. Like specifically right. that this is a Portland only bill mm-hmm. and I feel like they stopped doing that. I feel like that.
1: Yeah. We want to mandate uh, all the policies around Portland that impact the entire state, you know, whether it's, uh, zoning codes or planning codes, you know, we've lost our local control. You Mm -hmm. know, how I want my community to look is not how Portland looks or how Sherwood or Grants Pass or Ontario look, you know, we want our individualization of those communities. We've lost all that.
0: Yeah. Um, so um, usually this is where Nick jumps in and, and has something witty to say and he's not here. So. We, you know, I think <laughs>
1: what my community is also asking about uh, is, you know, having a safe public safety or a public, a safe community to live in. Mm. And that's beyond, you know, the drug issue, which is huge and problematic. We talked a little bit about that. Um, but we also want to see... Um, successful public safety officers. You know, we want, um, and it's interesting to see the Democrat position change on this. Now, you know, we Mm -hmm. were anti-police for so long and now, uh, we're asking for the police's help to come in and, and, you know, a lot of those people got ran out of the industry. Um, we can't, uh, hire
0: enough folks that want to come into it. I remember seeing billboards in Portland saying, you know, $5,000 bonus. Well, police. no, it's $5,000 oh. bonus. Come to Yakima. <laughs> yeah. Come be a police officer in some oh, other right. city. Right. Because they were like billboards in the city of Portland trying to recruit... Disaffected uh, or, or disgruntled, yeah. um, Portland police. You know, Hermanson's no no
1: different from the standpoint that we've had a lot of transition. A lot of our uh, more senior uh, public safety officers have retired, and we're you know fortunate in that we've been able to recruit and get some new people. But the training process is you know a year to mm-hmm. get those people through the training process, and so we want to see um, you know healthy communities from that perspective as well. That we have. Um, Public safety officers do a difficult job every day, mm-hmm. and they need the respect they deserve. They need the pay that they deserve, and um, you know we need we need them to know how important they are. And we need to rechange that or reframe that um, position because there's a lot of good folks out there. Just because you see one bad apple, you know, in Georgia. Doesn't mean they're all like that, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that that's excusable by any means. Um, these are good, hardworking individuals that want to just keep their communities safe, and we need to to support them. So we need to reframe that conversation too, and and then you know create an environment where they want to work and support their communities again, and be happy to go out in the street and not have them be handcuffed. Right now, yeah. you know, cuffs are taken off the criminals and put on the officers. Yeah. Uh, we need to
0: change that. Yeah. I think again, this is my Portland-centric mindset, but like we don't have body camps in Portland. You know that that <laughs> We've is had them for like ten years. Yeah, in it, it's 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 so dumb that this this you know the, the the fairly simple, not that high cost thing can be implemented that protects not just the not just the suspect but the. Officer. officer, Absolutely. it protects everybody. Just having yep. everything on tape, and we just poor city of Portland just doesn't do it mm-hmm. for what reason? Who knows? Right? Uh, no idea. Um, and they'll probably say it's a, a fiscally conservative thing. That's usually whenever they don't want to do something. They they, they seem they to have call plenty it, of money. I'm not sure. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> now they I've seen this with the with the I five bridge as well. Anytime somebody who doesn't want to expand the I five bridge and to make it more lanes talk, talks about how we can't afford it and we don't have the money. Right. And this so this is just like. If it's something they want to do we have plenty of money or, yeah. we, or we need more money to do it right and if it's something they don't want to do it's like oh gosh we gotta gotta make sure that we're we're Cut being back. you know <laughs> being responsible with with taxpayer money Prudent. it's like yeah whatever um yeah. but yeah you're absolutely right and i think that um you know here in portland there there's it, there's definitely a balance between supporting police and also holding accountable the bad actors yeah um I think that the that I think are... police
1: want bad actors held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, I think we, we're all in agreement with that. Yeah. Um, but they're not all bad actors, and they shouldn't all be treated
0: that way. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, the, the ACAB movement was. is just like, they're all bad actors. And it's like, well, no. Um, but yeah, there, need, there needs to be accountability. And I think that that is... I, I hate this argument in a sense because I feel like the left has some valid points as far as the police accountability but then if like with everything they just take it way too far mm-hmm. and because um, like the accountability is a big thing the um, I forgot what's going on with that but yeah basically like people the, the, the bad apples need to be weeded out and the, the police union I think is a big um, protects a lot of bad actors more than they should I've seen a, a number of, of examples of that where um, people are reinstated or given their jobs back because the the public employee union pushed mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to comment on that. That's yeah. just my my two cents.
1: Well, I I will <laughs> say that you know prosecution is a challenge. You know, a DA's office need additional resources. Our, our specialty courts. You know, uh, when we're talking about drug courts and parole and probation and the people that are trying to. Um, reintroduce individuals into our communities. The lot of disinvestment in that has Mm. happened over the last several years. Those people need some additional, uh, resources and support too. If we're really going to get serious about, um, transitioning people off the streets and and making a difference in crime, we need to also invest in, in those uh, individuals as well.
0: Yeah. And also things like, I think that banning the box as far as felons was a good step in the right direction. That was a left wing democratic proposal. Um, We are so good at punishing people and that, but once you get tagged with that box of being a felon, Mm -hmm. you're just kind of discarded by society. Mm -hmm. And as a small business owner, I'm not going to hire a felon because I can be held accountable. Like if, if they do something or relapse or do whatever, you know, that's on me for hiring them. My business, I'm putting my business at risk by hiring these folks. Whereas if I hire somebody who is maybe, you know, still a bad actor, but doesn't have a record, I can at least claim that I, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I can, I can plead ignorance, but, um, if, if every business owner is put in that same position of, you can hire this felon who's highly qualified, who needs a job. And if he doesn't get a job, he's going to go back and into a life of crime, Mm -hmm. or you can hire this non-felon and which is the safer choice who is, you know, maybe not putting my, my company at risk. Um, I'll tell you who I'm going to pick every time. Yeah. And so it's just, it's it's frustrating. You know, you need to, these people need a pathway back into society and not just, you know, hourly working at the grocery store. Yeah.
1: If they've done the time, you know,
0: and, um, you know,
1: given their society, their due back, we should figure out ways that we can reintegrate them, uh, and a lot better and try and find them some housing too. They end up on the streets a lot. Housing
0: is another thing. I, I had I've written a uh, letter of recommendation to a uh, apartment complex for a friend of mine who was, has a record incarcerated um, because he knew that he was going to have a hard time getting housing Mm -hmm. and he wanted a character reference. Yeah. It's like that, that is insane that if you have the ability, like you have the means to pay that, that you have to get a letter of recommendation to, to get housing. Yeah. Let's, can we, can I talk about a couple other things? Absolutely.
1: So, you know, um, Let's talk a little bit about electrical infrastructure. You yeah. Know, power grid, super important where I'm at, obviously. We've got dams, we've got windmills, we've got solar, you know, and having not uh, as many dams as you used to. Well, those are well, more south, but <laughs> yeah, we haven't torn any out yet. Nor am I supportive of on the record <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, infrastructure in a reliable electrical grid, super critical where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And then water. Water's huge, you know, in our state, it's it's where we're at, you know, Columbia is our lifeblood, you know, and uh, protecting it is super important, but also utilizing it uh, to the benefit of our state and our farmers, you know, Washington and Idaho seem like they can pull endless amounts of water out of that Columbia for you know, agricultural production, and we're extremely limited by policies of this state. So we've had a lot of good success in the Columbia Basin in the last several years. Um, three major projects have gone in. You know, the state made a small investment, I say small, 8 to $10 million, but the mm-hmm. community made uh, close to $85 million on top of that. Wow. From public funds to help go into infrastructure, and we now have billions of dollars of, um, you know, crop production that's being produced now from dryland wheat farms that are now going into corn and potatoes and onions and high, higher value crops that are meaningful and impactful to our region and our state. Those are also you know dollars that are going in the state coffers because we're now more productive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and you know, we also have a water safety issue you know not just in my region but across the state trying to protect water and and do what's best by our neighbors and and families um and so trying to find some solutions uh, just maybe some of the groundwater issues that we're dealing with. I know you guys don't see that quite as much over here.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things. Yeah, being in the, the valley, you don't really. Yeah, water rights and water resource management is not something we <laughs> just drink about rainwater. Yeah, right. <laughs> plenty, plenty of <laughs> rainwater. Yeah, for sure.
1: So those are big issues in my region I, as well as the southwest part of the state, um, and so those are things that I want to make sure that I'm working on and supporting in the legislature
0: too. Yeah. I'm curious about, um, electrical. Cause I, I, yeah. I, know a little bit more about that, although not, not a much. Um, so you're getting a lot of your, your wind, solar, hydro, um, natural gas, natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, are you all pushing for electric vehicles the way they are out here in the valley what's that (laughs) going to do to your grid? (laughs) 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 i mean this this is one of the things that doesn't get talked about in the in our mainstream media is how these electric vehicles are going to are going to put a huge we're absolutely not pushing for it that's that's a portland thing statewide i mean (laughs)
1: um so You know, electrification of cars—interesting challenge. Uh, That's a state. That was was really more (laughs) More my question. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Uh, You know, where it makes sense, we just don't have the grid infrastructure there, the charging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We drive a lot of miles in trying to get you know um, an electric vehicle to go those miles, or to pull a you know a trailer, or (laughs) you know, not very many uh, successful. Uh, long haul tractor trailers. I know Daimler's producing one right now that's electric, mm-hmm. but tractors, all that sort of stuff, they just don't function very well in our environment. Yeah. So no, not a big push in my area yeah. for electric vehicles, <laughs> well, but, but I know no. that it's putting a lot of demand on the electrical, um, circuit as far as having a reliable, uh, infrastructure and not just, you know, electric vehicle usage, but just electricity in general. Um, you know, we've got to look at alternative, energy generation systems and we got to state stop taking stuff off the grid that's yeah. producing energy right. that's costing so much money to everybody. you know from our the people that can least afford it um are just getting beat up right now because of our high energy costs and that's that's a again a democratic policy and decision that uh, i wouldn't be supportive of
0: I kind of alluded to um, the the I think it was the Klamath River dams that were mm-hmm. they were just torn out recently, and you know it, I, I made this argument to people. I was like, "Why are we taking away green power generation? Like yeah. this, this is dumb. Like why why are we doing this? Like, Oh, it's for the for the salmon." I was like, "There's not more salmon. Like yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot more salmon than there is. Like if, this, if climate change is what we what we say it is, and that this is a you know global." huge issue that needs to be addressed. Um, is it, can't the salmon find someplace? I mean, anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> but what it really what came down to, and it, and it took a little bit of digging was those dams needed to be upgraded. They didn't meet whatever criteria that they're supposed to be. And it was going to be prohibitively expensive for whoever owned them, whether it's PGE or, or whomever to upgrade them. And so they petitioned, they made it this environmental issue to tear out the dams so they, so they could use taxpayer money to tear them out. Rather than uh, upgrade them, interesting the way that they were supposed to. So this is like conspiracy like, This, is, this is crony capitalism. This is <laughs> this is, is cr- not it's not environmentalism. It's crony capitalism where somebody got taxpayer money to pay the, the bill that they were supposed to pay.
1: Yeah. So, so I, you know, I'm also a, a supporter of um, you know small cell nuclear. We need mm-hmm. to have the change Absolutely. of conversation across the state around nuclear energy. It's the best um, carbon neutral. Um, energy generation out there and And illegal in the state of Oregon. Why aren't we talking about it in the state of Oregon? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's something else I'll, I'll advocate and push for. Um, that I think is important to the conversation as we talk about energy production and, you know, we need more of it, not less.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think nuclear is, if there is such a sil- thing as a silver bullet for for power generation, small scale nuclear is, is the way to go. Yep. Um, so we are getting toward the end of the podcast. So one of the things we like to do with our guests at the very end is ask the question, who is your favorite Republican? Mm. So living or dead, you know, current past, doesn't really matter. Future, if you know any of them. Um, (laughs) Dave (laughs) Drotzman, um, you know, you could, that's, you
1: you know, know. uh, I'm a, I'm a Reagan Republican. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that seems like an easy one and, um, but at the same point, that's where I'm at. Uh, I think, I think you'll find that I'm very pragmatic. I'm common sense. Um, I think about first and second order consequences of the decisions that we make. So much of what we do today, uh, are knee jerk reactions to an immediate problem and don't think about the five and 10 year or 20 year consequences, of those decisions. Now we've got to go back and fix a problem that we created. Yeah. And so, you know, talking about, uh, pro business, you know, trying to support, um, you know, our small and mom-and-pop shops like yours, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make you more successful. Um, you know, 98% of, of businesses out there are small businesses, and they have, you know, uh, less than 200 people in their workforce. Yep. And what yep. is it, 95% have less than 20? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a significant number of, of jobs and a significant input into our economy, and we've got to get better um uh, more friendly for business across our state. So if I was to say, you know, one person just off the top of my mind or off the top of my head, Reagan,
0: um, would probably be it. That's a good answer. I think that was my answer when I had to answer. So was it? <laughs> good. maybe I listened uh, to your podcast. Uh, maybe I you did. Uh, so before we take off, um, yeah.
1: where can we find you? What's your website. DrotsmanforOregon.com. DrotsmanforOregon.com. Yep. Okay. You can reach me there. My cell phone's on there. My email's on there. Uh, my platform, who I am, you know, previous podcasts, uh, previous news articles, all my endorsees, uh, all that sort of stuff. You can find me there. Cool. Awesome. Drotsman, right, Sam? DrotsmanforOregon.com. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I have it pulled up. I can, I can double check for you. Yeah, drawsmanfororegon.com. Got it. Okay. Well, anyway. Thank- yeah, that'd be bad if I gave somebody the wrong <laughs> website address. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come out here and, uh, enjoy your drive back to Hermiston this afternoon.
1: Uh, James, so. thanks for what you and Nick are doing, uh, to, you know, move the Republican, um, conversation along because there's not enough of us out there and, uh, having conversations like that, getting people to know who we are, Mm -hmm. uh, and what Republicans stand for, uh, I think is important message. And I appreciate what you and Nick are doing. Thank you.
0: appreciate it. All right. With that, we'll end and listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the rational Republican podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.